Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's Reefer Madness, the podcast with Trevor and Kirk. Uh, Kirk, we're back. Yes, I'm Kirk the nurse, and uh, I'm Trevor Schufelt, the pharmacist. And my friend, you got a scientific, geeky, nerdy, medical-based interview to talk about. I did. I got like three scientists all at once on a speakerphone. Yeah, your, your grin was touching each lobe. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is this is going to be a real geeky. Uh, deep, like I was listening in, there's a lot of words that my tongue would never be able to get around. But essentially, what have you brought? Well, uh, Twitter. Twitter's good for for stuff. So Cannabis Twitter kind of blew up with this Forbes article about CBD. I saw it on Instagram also, yeah. And and basically the, the... the title was CBD causes liver damage. And then everyone got all excited and yes, it does. No, it doesn't. You're an idiot and that kind of stuff. People say you're an idiot on Twitter? Well, not specifically to me. But, oh, good, good. But I, I think most of the you're an idiot was aimed at the, the guy who wrote the Forbes article, which is unfair because without him, I wouldn't have realized these gentlemen in uh, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So we thought we'd... Uh, send out a, a, a note and they said, sure, we'll talk to you about our study. Yeah. Yeah. And these guys are, these guys are world renowned specialists. Like this is a, this is a quantifiable scientific paper that you read through. Yeah. Um, and basically on the toxicology end, and it's not as scary as it sounds, but basically these guys are, look, and we do this for every drug out there. I was going to mention that, right? This is what yeah. I got out of this. Every person that's on a chronic med, and there, are, and I'm sure you can label them off, eventually you have to be monitored on the levels in your bloodstream and how your liver enzymes are affecting the, 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 by the medicine, right? So name a few that people would know. Oh, well, the big one that every almost everyone's taking right now is Tylenol. Tylenol affects people's livers left, right, and center. Yeah, but you don't go to your doctor and get a Tylenol level. Well, and there's people who argue you should. But um, one of the more common ones would be a, a uh, an epilepsy drug called carbamazepine. Okay. It definitely affects your liver, liver levels and makes it difficult to dose everything else because you take carbamazepine and that affects how your liver metabolizes everything else that you take. So if somebody is taking a CBD um, as medicine... This is a consideration that they should actually have their levels checked. Well, that is kind of what they were looking at in this paper. They, they'd found some previous studies had found some increased liver, liver enzymes when people took CBD. So these guys are kind of, this is the beginning of the toxicology. What does CBD do in the liver? And because the liver affects so many different parts of the body, you know, it's a reasonable question. What does CBD do to the liver? Well, and again, as a nurse, you know, and we've just come into this into this cannabis game two years ago with this podcast. But cannabis has been legal in Canada for I always mix this up since 2002, I think. About 20 years. So I wonder now if GPs, if general practitioners, if doctors out there are drawing liver enzymes and CBD levels, I wonder if they're if it's part of their practice. I almost guarantee it isn't. Yeah. And to be honest, and full credit to these guys, and I hope that there's more research like this, 
there's probably just not been enough research yet to draw up what we look at all the time, the clinical practice guidelines saying, you know, if somebody's on CBD, here's when you should do your liver enzymes. It's, it's like when we know right now, if I had a fungus on my toe and I wanted to uh, take a, a certain medication to kill the fungus on my toe, the first thing the doctor would probably do is draw my liver enzyme, right. then put me on it and three months later check to see if it's changed. Because some of those drugs are very harmful to your liver, right? Or, or can at least affect them. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of these things that we've got clinical practice guidelines. We don't have that about uh, cannabis products. But these guys, essentially, what I'm getting from this, these guys may be starting, like, here it is, guys, ground zero. If you are taking CBDs, you should approach your doctor and maybe suggest, maybe you should check my liver enzymes. There's a study out there that suggests it might have an effect. It's at least worth the conversation. You know, if you're an otherwise healthy young adult on no other medications, Maybe it doesn't matter. But, you know, if you've ever had any liver problems in the past or if you are on a buttload of other medications, yeah, maybe we should. So we should, uh, I guess, get into the interview. Let's listen to Smarter Guys Than Us. It's Reefer Madness, the podcast. Uh, I am Dr. Bill Gurley. I'm a professor of pharmaceutical sciences and the vice chairman for the Department of Pharmaceutical Sciences in the College of Pharmacy at the University of Arkansas for medical science. Uh, Dr. Mitch McGill. Assistant Professor in uh, Public Health and Pharmacology and Toxicology, also at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. I'm Igor Kotorbash. I'm Associate Professor at the Department of Environmental Health and the Co-Director of the Center for Dietary Supplement Research, University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. Thank you, gentlemen, and thank you for joining us. So, I read your paper. I guess my first question that I wasn't is what were you guys trying to find? What was the idea behind this? What problem were you trying to solve by doing this study? Well, uh, the first thing is that cannabidiol is really uh, paving its road to the market, right? It's been aggressively marketed for a whole host of different purposes. The problem with cannabidiol is that we literally have no idea about its safety, right? And before something goes on the market, right, you need to know about its safety. So with the first study was actually to see uh, that uh, potential of cannabidiol uh, to cause a liver injury because uh, the product uh, Epidiolex, uh, which is the FDA-approved uh, drug based on cannabidiol to treat epileptic seizures, uh, its uh, major side effect is elevated liver enzymes that have been observed in about 5 to 20 percent of patients that receive epidiolex clinically. So, uh, therefore, the scope of the first study to see uh, how, how, far, how far you can push the envelope, where is the safety, um, let's say, borderline for, for uh, cannabidiol, right? So, you may argue doses were quite high. Uh, but the idea for selecting doses was uh, the ma maximum recommended dose of CBD uh, in epidiolex, 20 milligram per kilogram. Then we used a very sophisticated approach how to calculate the mouse doses. And I will turn here to Dr. Gurley who can explain it way better than me. Yeah, so the, the doses that we use are based on uh, an approach called allometric scaling. And so animals are, have a much higher uh, metabolism than humans do. And so we oftentimes like to refer to mice and rats as 
little, uh, basically with livers with legs. And so uh, it takes much higher doses on a, on a milligram per kilogram basis uh, to, to have an equivalent dose in a mouse than it would in a human. So uh, we did, the, and so this is a standard procedure that the FDA and the drug industry utilize with regards to doing initial studies with drugs and, and animals and then translating those doses to the humans, the first time in human dose. And so that was an approach that's standard and we, and we use, utilized that for the, the doses that CBD, excuse me, the Epidiolex uh, had been uh, recommended for. And then we just converted those to equivalent mouse doses and then just administered those. Now, the first dose we utilized was kind of a standard, um, kind of the upper end of the Epidiolex, and then we just pushed it. So we're going, we're trying, as Dr. Korderbosch mentioned, we're trying to find what our limits are. And so um, we started off with um, what we called a, a, a 1x mouse equivalence dose, then a 3x, and then a 10x. And so we're really pushing it with the 10x, and we fully expected to see, you typically expect to see a lot of, a lot of unusual things when you're really pushing the dose there, and we weren't surprised at all. Um, and so we were more concerned about what we saw with the, uh, the 1x mouse equivalent doses. And uh, we were, uh, you know, the, the, the results were, Quite similar to what um, uh, Greenwich uh, Biosciences found with Epidiolex, so it meant that our animal model was a, a fairly decent mimic for what um, uh, for Greenwich Biosciences what they found when they were administering their drug uh, Epidiolex uh, to, to humans. So we weren't uh, we, so we were we were not too surprised uh, that our, with our findings at the lower doses. Uh, we fully expected to see much more exacerbated problems when we started pushing the dose in the other direction. I just want to jump in quick because you, you're answering some of the questions that are, have come up anyway, so that's excellent. But just to make sure everyone sort of catches what you're saying, so some of the, the criticisms that I've seen people write about this is you use just phenomenally high doses that would never be used in humans, but the, the sort of layperson's version of that is you need to use a much higher dose in a mouse to to approximate what a human dose would be because their metabolism so much higher, right? Yeah, so uh, you, yeah, this is a very common mistake for people that are not familiar with uh, with the with how how different species metabolize drugs differently from humans. And so, if you look at the doses on a milligram per kilogram basis, and you try to translate that to a human, uh, it seems like an inordinate amount. But in reality, uh, if you put in the appropriate uh, scaling factor. Uh, so, for example, if we had a dose of, uh, say we had a mouse dose of 120 milligrams per kilogram, well, that would equal, that basically equates to a 10 milligram per kilogram dose in humans. You know, so it's not a, it's not a direct uh, comparison. There is a scaling factor that has to be factored in there. And those, there are different scaling factors for different animals. The smaller the animal, the larger the scaling factor. As the animal gets larger, it gets more closer to humans, and as the uh, as the animal gets much larger than humans, so like horses and cows, and the scaling factor gets even smaller than, than that. So, and, and that's the just, other, uh, that's, no, no, that's great. I think you under, explained that very well. The other one that's come up is, you know, why on earth did these guys use, you know, three times and ten times what we'd expect in humans? And I I think I read in there, and you can talk to this a little more. Because, you know, one of the things I assume you guys were looking into is what happens in the case of overdose. Is that the only reason you would pick such enormous high doses to go up to to see what would happen? I'm going to turn it back over to Dr. Korderbosch. That's his area of expertise. 
Yeah, so there are several things. Of course, uh, you think about overdose, right? Second, you think about the situation that uh, some people uh, can be um, uh, poor metabolizers, some can be super metabolizers. And, you know, there are some sensitive populations, right? You know that there are people who can take uh, just a little bit higher than daily recommended dose of acetaminophen, and they have really developing severe liver injury, right? So you have to be aware of such situations. Also, when you start working with a chemical, any chemical, right, it's going to be the, um, a drug or, or, for example, something that's going to be used in the food, in food industry. Technically, if you want to show that this dose is safe in a human, you have to show that about 10x from that dose is safe, in a, is safe for a mouse, right? So if we saw the effect at 20 milligram per kilogram at 10x, and we saw there is a really significant effect on the liver, that resonates with the data from uh, GW Sciences, right, where they clearly, that's what their reason why they selected this is your maximum recommended dose, because at the dose higher than that, you're going to start seeing probably really very nasty effects, right? No, thank you very much. And I, I know I sort of jumped in in the middle of Dr. Gurley's explanation, but thank you. And I think that leads us well into sort of the next part of, so we've gotten kind of on the why. So how about the how? It looks like this was sort of a, if I'm reading this right, kind of a two-pronged study. You had sort of a one huge dose, see what happens, and then sort of a subacute doses. Can one of you talk about sort of what you guys did with the mice and kind of how, how that went along? So uh, another one reason for the acute study is that you identify doses for further subchronic and chronic studies, right? So if you know that um, uh, 20 milligram per kilogram uh, is a mouse equivalent dose of 20 milligram per kilogram um, is quite high, right? So actually you can schedule your subacute and subchronic and chronic experiments with the lower doses, right? So uh, we used uh, much lower doses uh, for the subchronic study uh, in order to mimic the everyday ingestion, right? So if you, for example, uh, like to treat your arthritis or back pain or any other disease that is being now marketed, you know, that CBD is marketed for, uh, and you take daily doses of cannabidiol, so what we saw is that if you need quite high dose of CBD to cause liver injury after a single administration. Uh, actually, substantially lower doses are needed to cause liver injury in regards to chronic ingestion, right? Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. So, um, as a pharmacist, of course, we deal with liver injury. You know, the, the thing we give out in the pharmacy is, that causes the most liver in, injury out there is acetaminophen. So, that's, you know, something we talk about all the time. But you guys alluded to in the at the end of the study, things that I guess clinicians will have to be worried about. So, you know, if people take really big doses of CBD or they take a dose for a long time, we might actually injure the liver. But there's also enzyme induction, which, you know, I'm interested in because that affects how other drugs work. Do any of you want to talk on what we think we might know about what CBD might do to induce enzymes to maybe affect other medications? Yeah, it's a great question. So that's been my area of expertise for quite some time. We've been doing herb drug interaction studies, uh, clinical herb drug interaction studies for over 20 years. And so this pretty much uh, was a nice, um, dovetailed nicely to a lot of the work that we've been doing with, with some of the more traditional uh, 
botanical dietary supplements. So uh, what we did see when we did the mouse studies, uh, one of the other things that we did was to do a whole host of um, hepatic enzyme uh, assays uh, to, uh, to determine whether or not certain cytochrome P450s and certain transporters uh, and certain transferases and a wide variety of drug metabolizing enzymes and transporters, whether they were modulated. And oftentimes what we found was several uh, fairly important drug metabolizing enzymes in humans, at least the, the homologs in mice, were dramatically induced. And so um, that kind of explains some of the drug interaction profiles that uh, GW Biosciences has also seen with uh, Epidiolex. Now, does that mean that we're going to see the same types of effects in humans as we saw with the mice? Uh, hard to say. Um, given the fact that several of these enzymes were induced many, 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 many fold, I would suspect we would see some similar effects in humans, but that's not always the case. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of interspecies differences in how, in how drugs and how certain drug metabolizing enzymes are induced or modulated. Um, I do know that um, there have been some um, or, drug, or some CBD drug interaction studies that have been conducted by GW Biosciences looking at its effects on the very important drug metabolizing enzyme CYP3A4 uh, in humans, and at least um, based on their small pilot study, it, it didn't appear to have a significant effect on CYP3A4, and that's kind of similar to what we saw with our mice studies. Uh, 3A4, at least the, the mouse homologue, didn't appear to be modulated to any great extent, but there were several other cytochromes that GW scientists have not investigated that do appear to be uh, dramatically induced. So that's going to be a, a next study. Uh, in fact, um, have some colleagues of mine at the University of Mississippi that we're going to start looking at a clinical study to see whether or not um, you know, uh, reasonable doses of CBD might uh, modulate human drug metabolism. So, no, th thank you, and yeah, and uh, Dr. Kortobash actually sent me another one of the the papers that your team was working on that was specifically looking at. Um, I think it was uh, acetaminophen interactions with CBD. So I'm I'm excited to see what else comes down the pipe for that kind of thing. Uh, just to kind of address some of the other criticisms I read. So mice to humans. Now, obviously, mice is a good place to start for any kind of drug testing, just physically easier to work with and that kind of thing. But can you just tell our listeners in general, and you've touched on a little bit how like you said, it's an analog between the, the mouse liver enzyme and the human liver enzyme, but it's not, even though we find, you know, the, the, the quote is we've cured cancer so many times in mice, but never in humans. So it's not always sort of a straight line to what we find in mice to when we scale up to humans, is it? Oh, no, not always. Um, it's just, it, it depends. It goes from drug to drug and, um, but uh, as a general rule, uh, there's always going to be some differences. But if you, like for example, when we're starting to see some hepatotoxicity, um, that's quite concerning. Now, whether we're going to see the same magnitude of changes in some of the drug metabolizing enzymes, difficult to say. Um, but nevertheless, at least we have some idea as to which particular enzymes, at least the human uh, analogs, uh, to be looking for. 
No, thank you. That That's great. So I think that leads us nicely into, well, frankly, what a lot of people are wondering about. We have lots of people out there who are using CBD right now for, like you said, everything from childhood seizures to, you know, their sore arthritic knees. Um, as healthcare professionals or as individual patients using it, what should we what should we do with the the stuff coming out of this study? How how do we extrapolate this out to somebody who's who's using it right now, rubbing it on their knee or giving it to their child with seizures? What should they watch for or think about or possibly talk about with their with their doctor, pharmacist, or nurse? Yeah. So um, there's another factor that we haven't talked about that I think is very important, <clears throat> and that's the quality of the CBD products that are on the market. Uh, and to be quite honest with you, the quality of the CBD products on the market is virtually unknowable. Uh, we just recently did a, a survey of, of various CBD, uh, CBD oil products um, throughout the state of Mississippi, and only, only less than 10% of the products actually had the quantity of CBD in the product that was claimed on the label. Now. From a safety perspective, the vast majority of those were much less than what was actually claimed on the label, so those are certainly much much safer. However, there were several products that had, uh, and one particular product had 23 times the amount of CBD in the product that was claimed on the label. So that 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 particular product in itself would be setting an individual up for potential overdose, even if they if they took the uh, recommended doses. Yeah, that's a scary um, scary dose altogether, isn't it? Yeah, and then so another thing that was very disturbing that we found was a lot of products also were adulterated with synthetic cannabinoids, uh, which are much more toxic than CBD uh, or any other cannabinoid for that matter. So that's, that's, as a a pharmacist and as a pharmaceutical scientist, that's very concerning to me. Uh, So, you know, what what you think you might be, uh, what you think you may be purchasing as a consumer may not necessarily be CBD. I mean, if you're going to spend 40 or 50 bucks for a vial of CBD oil, you'd hope to at least have some CBD oil in it. Uh, and what we're seeing right now is that's not always the case. And then in some situations, there's a dramatically much higher than what you would anticipate. So it, it, it sets an individual up for potential overdose. And, um, and so you alluded earlier to um, potential drug interactions, and we've also finished a study looking at CBD and acetaminophen, so we can certainly talk about that in much more detail if you like. Sure. Let, let's talk about that now because, you, A, you just did the study, and, B, I, don't, I can't think of any people I know who don't actually take some acetaminophen, so I guarantee there's some people out there who are taking CBD with their acetaminophen right now. What, what, what should we be aware of? Yeah, so <laughs> what we found in the study um, was was pretty surprising, actually. So for, for listeners who might not be aware of it, uh, at least here in the U.S., acetaminophen is, is by far the most commonly used drug. Uh, there's about 25 billion doses sold every year. Um, it's, it's really, really ubiquitous. Uh, mo- most adults take it. At least a quarter of the population is taking it about at least once every week. So there's a really high potential when you start talking about drug-drug interactions or herb-drug interactions. Uh, acetaminophen is kind of number one. Start, you know, start there. And so, uh, as Dr. Gurley had, had mentioned, we we saw a lot of uh, induction of these cytochrome P450 enzymes. And so, uh, the mechanism of acetaminophen toxicity uh, um, really depends on formation of a reactive metabolite uh, that is generated by some of those uh, drug metabolizing enzymes. So our initial hypothesis was uh, you're going to see a lot more toxicity due to induction of metabolism. 
what we were really surprised is uh, what we found is that, in fact, although the expression of a lot of those enzymes was increased, for some reason, the actual sort of end product, the protein binding and glutathione depletion uh, that occurs as a result of, of that reactive metabolite wasn't really different uh, between the uh, different doses of, uh, between acetaminophen alone and the different doses of acetaminophen combined with CBD. But instead, what we saw was potentially a difference in signaling pathways that can lead to liver injury. So you start talking about molecular signaling pathways. And there's one uh, in particular that's called the, uh, a protein called the C-June N-terminal kinase, or JUNK, J-N-K. And that, what we saw that, is that you a, have- That's a great name for an enzyme. <laughs> So, so what we saw is a little bit more, what appeared to be a little bit more activation of, uh, of junk uh, with, with at least the, one of the doses of CBD combined with acetaminophen. Uh, so that kind of gets to a whole other point is that when you first talk about drug-drug interactions or herb-drug interactions, you start with metabolism, but then we forget to say, oh, it could also have, a, have an effect on these downstream signaling pathways. Uh, that can also lead to to different drug-drug uh, uh, interactions. So I guess the the and that, that is fascinating. I I was sure you were going to start talking about glutathione as well because the way back from pharmacology that's that's the part I remember in in a acetaminophen overdose. But I guess the question for somebody who's out there right now using acetaminophen and and CBD is should they stop? Should they space it? And, and we might not have an answer yet, but any, any sort of clinical pearls we can give to somebody who might be using CBD and acetaminophen together right now because, again, maybe they have an arthritic knee? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I guess my, my response to that would be all things in moderation, right? So uh, the, the first principle of toxicology is dose makes the poison. Uh, so I'm sure you're very familiar with that as a pharmacist. And, so my advice would be just just use things wisely, uh, don't overdo it, uh, and, and that pretty much goes for all drugs, not just the sedimentary or CBD, uh, but applies to pretty much everything. Thank you. I think that's that's sound advice. So if you guys were going to write a, a headline about your study that the public should take away, sort of a summary, a headline, what what would what would it be about about what you found? Oh well, what we found is that uh, we're certainly it certainly deserves a lot more research and a lot more investigation. Uh, granted, the the original doses we started with were certainly up on the high end, and so now we're wanting to see whether or not uh, going towards the the lower end, particularly in combination with drugs like acetaminophen, uh, you know, just to, just where does that concern start to you know start to to ebb? When does it start to diminish? Um, what's, what's, really, what's really surprised me as a pharmacist is that this, there's been this explosion of CBD uh, use, products, whatever, and to be quite honest with you, we know very little about the pharmacology uh, of CBD in humans. So uh, there's a lot of more research to be done, and um, we're, we're, hoping, we're hoping that we can at least fill in some of those gaps. I would like to second on everything what Dr. Gurley said, but I think there should be also a message to at least responsible part of the industry that they probably need to do some further research uh, into the product that they are selling on the market. Yeah, and I, I would, again, I just third that. We need more research, but in addition to that, maybe uh, it, it's probably time to start looking a little more into regulation of these products, just because, as Dr. Gurley said, the, the amount in the product can be so variable. And, and uh, you know, it, another question would be, is it appropriate 
special populations like pregnant women, for example, things like that. We don't know anything about it. So uh, you're, you're about to hear a, a, a separate voice. This is uh, Kirk Nyquist, my, my cohort and co-host and, and nurse. He had a couple quick add-on questions. I guess the question I have in your study, was there anything about the entourage effect and the effect of THC uh, working with CBD? I'm also curious about where your study took place and were there any roadblocks, federal, federal roadblocks or anything, restrictions on you studying a cannabis product? Those are certainly good questions. Uh, we we did have to uh, get a Scheduled One license from the DEA in order to work with CBD. Uh, we were also the product that we utilized was a well characterized uh, cannabidiol cannabidiol containing cannabis extract that was fully characterized by the National Center for Natural Products Research at the University of Mississippi. And of course, you're probably familiar. The University of Mississippi is probably the preeminent marijuana research institute in the in the world, for that matter. So the product was well characterized. We knew exactly what was in it. Not only CBD, but but uh, there was a you know there was a, some minor components of THC, uh, fairly fairly low. Uh, there were some other uh, minor cannabinoids, other minor terpenes. But this is a product that's very similar to a lot of uh, CBD uh, cannabis CBD containing cannabis extracts that are that are on the market. No, that is great. So I think we are done picking your very smart brains. We appreciate you talking about the study. I think this solved a lot of things. And yeah, keep up the, the good research. We, we need more information about this. Yeah, you know, the, one, one final thing. The purpose of the study was not to alarm everyone and, and cause everybody to go into a panic, but our approach was to take a very scientific approach to this and start it, you know, and just kind of try to put some foundations to a lot of the to a lot of the hype that's out there associated with CBD. I think a lot of it is, um, I think CBD in many instances has been mischaracterized with regards to its potential efficacy. And there's very little information out there about its safety. And then that's where we come in. Uh, that there were a lot of words there. There was, a, there was that was very dense. I think I'm gonna have to listen to that this episode twice. Yeah, no, um, me too. And, and I read the paper, but, um, yeah, no, they, but what I really want people to get out of that is, and I think it was Dr. Gurley said at the end, they're not anti-CBD. No. They, they, they don't hate the stuff. They don't think it's going to blow up everyone's liver. They don't want it, you know, thrown off the market, but they just want people to use caution, which seems reasonable. It's a medicine. It's a medicine. Treat it as a medicine. If you are taking CBD products, treat it like a medicine. I love the fact that they discuss the quality of the product that they're getting. If you're buying your CBDs from a gas station, you might be suspect on what you're buying. Well, I thought another, you know, they might not realize it, but another plug for Canada is we got a whole lot of regulations. If, if you go through our legal system... You know, it's not perfect, yada, yada. But if you go through our legal system and get legal CBD, you've got a much better chance of having exactly what's labeled on the bottle yeah. with what you took home. I agree. I mean, I, I was thinking two years ago there was in our small town, there was somebody who was out there selling CBD products. And I mean, you and I were going, where did they get the license to do that? And what, what how is that happening? And I guess with the regulations, Prohibition 2.0, at least we do know uh, or if you're buying it from a licensed producer, you do know what you're getting. Yeah, and I think that that sorry is a huge advantage to buying legal cannabis products yeah. in Canada. That was a that was a cool scientific episode. I like that one. Yeah, um, dense. Have another listen because yeah. I know I need to listen to it one more time. But uh, 
We should talk about our, our sponsor. Strain Print. Uh, they're everywhere and are fantastic. Even when we were out in Saskatoon, our two onstage guests were Strain Print users and promoters. Um, as if, we are. As we are. So, yeah, Strain Print. If you haven't heard of us say it before, think about it like a diabetic log for your cannabis. For your cannabis. It's, you know, especially early in your disease is what came up a lot in at HempFest is when you're still trying to figure out how cannabis is working with your condition, having a log is fantastic. Yeah. It's a downloadable app. It goes on your phone. It goes on your, it goes on your device and you can track your cannabis and, and, and perfect. You know, as a new user of cannabis as medicine or recreational, this, this app will will follow you and give you your memory. It'll help you understand how cannabis has helped you. So it's strainprint.ca. It's a good it's a good app. We recommend it and they support Reefer Madness. Kirk, do we have any music today? I really am enjoying the fact that uh, Renee, our producer, is bringing music to us and and is and bringing bringing in another voice. So maybe we'll just challenge Renee to to bring some music. And Renee, we got lazy. Well, it's okay to be lazy sometimes. That was another good one. Um, yeah, I enjoy coming up with some of the music for the end of the the podcast, and um, we try to keep it local, of course. Uh, and we are out of Dauphin, and um, today. I've got a cut by a guy named Jimmy Z. He's from Gilbert Plains, Manitoba. That's just down the road, down Highway Number 5 from Dauphin. Uh, the song is Drinking All Night Long. Jimmy Z, keeping it local on Reefer Madness. We're Reefer Madness on Instagram and Facebook, at Reefer Madness on Twitter, or head over to the website at ReeferMed.ca to find out what we're all about and what's coming up next. Got out of the pain about 50 miles ago. Just just said leave town, don't care where you go. We've been drinking all night long. I thought you was a friend of mine, I thought you was my girl. And we've been together till the end of the world.
so many places we need to see. There's so many places we need to be. But the nights are gonna be with me. And we will satisfy your needs. Do we have any music today? Um, we will. Okay. As I sit here today, I don't know, though. <laughs> All right, we'll figure that out you in know, a minute. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.